Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin, from Continuum. Diabetes treatments ain't what they used to be. Once upon a time, technology was the thing, and companies in the diabetes space were squarely focused on creating medical devices aimed at best managing the disease. But things are more complicated these days. The players in the diabetes ecosystem have realized that it's essential to think about the services that surround the technology, as well as the people, the patients, the healthcare professionals, and the families who are directly involved. And in the race to create value-based diabetes care, holistic solutions are an absolute must. And now that data is flooding into the diabetes world, that must be interpreted and shared in a human way that makes sense for everyone involved in the treatment. John Brooks knows this story well. He is the Managing Director of Healthcare Capital, LLC, the former president and CEO of the Joslin Diabetes Center. John co-founded seven life sciences companies, including Insulet, whose Omnipod, a disposable insulin delivery system, was a project Continuum's honored to partake in. Diabetes treatment is a personal passion for John. As a father whose son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes 25 years ago, he cares deeply about finding new and effective ways of tackling this chronic disease. So listen up, and you'll hear a wide-ranging conversation John recently had with Mike Dunkley, Senior Vice President and Head of Continuum's Medical Business, to discuss the past, present, and future of diabetes treatment. So John, a real pleasure to sit down, finally get the chance to chat to you. I feel like um, this has been long in the making, but glad we have the opportunity today. Um, so you're, you're coming to this with a long career in innovation, healthcare, executive leadership, an investor. There's this overarching theme, I think, and strong interest in diabetes. I wonder if you could just add some color as to why diabetes has been such a strong theme. Yeah, so uh, as it turns out, 25 years ago, uh, our then three-year-old son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And to be honest with you, you know, there was no family history, really didn't have any appreciation of, you know, why that happened. And, um, you know, maybe like a lot of other parents with kids with a particular disease, you know, you decide, hey, I need to do something about this. I need to learn about this disease. And so really, you know, for the last 25 years, uh, our son just had his 28th birthday last week. Um, you know, I really said, you know, what can I do to A, really get myself up to speed on understanding diabetes, not just type 1, but all aspects of diabetes. And, uh, you know, I just made a conscious effort to really, you know, be a continuous learner, you know, make sure I could read as much as possible. And, you know, I tell people in the early days, you know, whatever I read, maybe I was lucky to absorb about 5% of it. But over time, you know, you start getting fairly knowledgeable. And, you know, I had the opportunity, you know, when I was in the venture industry uh, to look at lots of companies in diabetes, which was great. You know, obviously lots of companies that were working on at the time, non-invasive glucose sensors, right, 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 next right. generation, you know, ways to help people with diabetes. And that was really the opportunity with one of my partners and I at Prism. Uh, he was a medical device guy as well. We ended up creating uh, the idea for the Omnipod, the right. insulin Omnipod. And that was really, again, born out of, you know, a flight that he and I were taking in 2000 back from the West Coast. And I was kind of describing, you know, all the challenges of, you know, insulin initiation and administration for our son. And, you know, uh, we came up with this idea of a disposable insulin delivery system based on another uh, opportunity that we were working on in the disposable hearing this, aid area. So we thought, 
thought the idea of disposability would be disruptive. And this is the infamous napkin sketch. Exactly, exactly. Flag, exactly yeah, yeah, which unfortunately which, we weren't smart enough to keep. Right. Uh, but so, uh, but that led to that. And then you know I really had the opportunity to, um, as I had joined the board at the Jocelyn Diabetes Center, kind of worked my way up the uh, food chain there as chairman, and then about seven years ago became the uh, CEO and did that for the last five years up until two years two years ago and it's really been uh, you know an opportunity for me to even further appreciate you know on the research side the clinical delivery side and on a global scale you know the magnitude of the diabetes pandemic and so for the last two years I'm still driving all that uh, through my board work and advisory work consulting work and you know I just have a strong passion to see you know what I can do to try to you know help the now 461 million people around right. the world that have diabetes obviously principally type 2 diabetes but uh, as we all look at the numbers uh, it's only escalating and you know we need to think differently so thinking differently is, is kind of a, a theme, I think, for the conversation. It feels like we're at maybe an inflection point where, you know, we're not quite 100 years since insulin was first, you know, identified and developed. And there's been a lot of, you know, really um, tremendous development when you look at the, the insulin itself, the delivery systems, the, the measurement systems. But we're starting to move towards this kind of solution space. And maybe Omnipod was, was one of the first... Um, inventions that started to look at look at this more holistically but do you want to just give your perspective on where we are in that trajectory yeah no, maybe it, where we've come from where right. we are now and what where the future yeah no is. I, I think you've hit it in the head I mean we're transitioning away from the device world or the pharmaceutical world where the focus was on you know here's a device let me get it through the FDA let me find some key opinion leaders and try to convince them to adopt the product in you know the pharmaceutical industry the insulin produces I mean the focus is on how many more vials of insulin can I sell and now you know I think there's an appreciation to your point all the players need to be in the solution business. Mm -hmm. You can't just be thinking about selling the product. You need to think about how do you participate in helping, you know, whether it's a payer, whether it's a provider, whether it's a patient, their family, their family. How do you basically come up with a way to say, hey, I need to be recognizing that I need to be part of that. I need to help drive adherence. I need to help patients make better decisions, I need to take the burden of diabetes off of them, I need to give them an opportunity to have their diabetes management um, undertaken in a way that works for them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we don't have a one-size-fits-all mentality. But I think the next big leap that we're just starting to emerge in is the ability and not that we want to use AI and machine learning, uh, you know, as a buzzword, but we have now an opportunity through the power of sensors, you know, whether they're CGMs, a lot of new CGMs coming on the market, uh, obviously some of that related to driving the artificial pancreas. But now we have an opportunity to take a sea of data that's coming off of devices, that's coming off of these sensors, physiologic devices, Fitbits, I mean, Misfits, I mean, 
all these different data points and they're in the cloud. And, you know, in the early days, people thought, well, this is great. I'll push it back to the doctor, push it back to the patient. Clearly, that was never going to take hold. It's really the idea of how do I take that data and turn it into actionable intelligence? How do I actually use it to understand trending, to look at patents? And then I could use that to inform, you know, doctors to think about, you know, different care plan. Patients can understand you know, what they could do to basically try to optimize their care. And and that really sets the stage then for, you know, better decision support, automated decision support, Mm -hmm. decision support kind of taking place behind the scenes, if you will, and ultimately helping to drive changes in the economic environment where we expect um, that we're going to see more and more payments for innovation, for solutions being driven off of outcomes, being driven off of taking costs out of the system. I mean, we're starting to understand that diabetes is a 24-7 disease, and how do we help patients manage a disease, again, on their terms, at home, uh, recognize that they're trending in the wrong direction and intercede, keep them from getting into trouble, which is going to lead to potentially a hospitalization or ED visit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface where uh, we can really provide uh, this oversight in the background, engage with the patient in a way that they want to be engaged and and understand the challenges of behavior, lifestyle, family situation, economics, and and all of that. So, you know, I, I think the next evolution is going to be really this idea of, you know, um, having the ability to basically help people manage diabetes and they don't have to be the ones doing it. It's really being done on their behalf. Right. And, and I want to talk more about outcomes, which you mentioned briefly there, but <clears throat> maybe just to, to, to kind of distinguish a little bit between systems designed for people with type 1 diabetes and systems designed for people with type 2, because it seems like the, there's two fairly distinct opportunities. You mentioned artificial pancreas, right, which is about tying the measurement to the delivery and having some kind of algorithm, AI-driven potentially in the middle of that, automating that and taking that burden away, whereas type 2 is is more of a behavior change challenge. Do you think of them separately like that? Yeah, no, I think think that's a good way to think about it. I mean, as you indicated, you know, type 1, you know, the objective at the end of the day is can we emulate uh, the way a normal pancreas works? So the idea is, you know, uh, and, and again, the opportunity now that we're able to kind of move away from episodic finger sticks where we're getting, you know, different uh, blood glucose readings. Now we have an opportunity almost on a continuous basis to really look at, you know, glycemic variability, really understand, you know, what's driving it, whether it's obviously the foods, whether it's stress, whether it's hormones, whether there's, you know, mm-hmm. sleep, electorose. So the idea is the, the richer we can understand you know, what's going on, just like our bodies do for people that don't have diabetes. Uh, And then most importantly is how to then use, you know, the power of that information to then drive, you know, much more precise insulin doses that keep those folks in a very good range that uh, over time, I think there's an opportunity where the algorithms will become adaptive. They'll understand that individual. They'll understand what they're habits are, they'll understand, you know, what they do Monday through Friday, the weekends are different, and all of a sudden it'll really, 
you know, help that person, you know, really personalize, optimize the care uh, in a way that uh, is exactly who that person is. Mm -hmm. um, so that's exciting. Um, we're in the type two area, you know, obviously, you know, at the end of the day, people's, you know, pancreas are, are functioning. The problem is they probably can't produce enough insulin, you know, because of insulin resistance, obesity. And, and there, you know, a big part of the solution, in fact, a lot of people with type 2 tend to be somewhat reticent to go on insulin. They've mm -hmm. been convinced that that's really the drug of last resort, right. which isn't right. true. And, you know, historically, primary care doctors were very concerned about, you know, the risks and they didn't have the resources to really support insulin initiation for type 2s. And now, you know, I think there's an appreciation to recognize that, you know, if a lot of that heavy lifting burden can be taken off of people with type 2, that at the end of the day, insulin is actually, we're trying to uh, augment what your body produces and it's not a drug of last resort it could be a drug of first resort mm -hmm. um, the other part of it I think uh, which is the heart of type 2 is as you alluded to it's the fact that you know helping people with a behavior change you know and it's really a family situation because you know do people want to think differently about their the foods they eat, their lifestyle, their habits, uh, their level of activity, you know, all the other things that are going on. And, and historically, you know, I think a lot of people with type 2 didn't even fully understand what it meant to have diabetes. Uh, and then the other part of it is, you know, even there's some opportunities now with some of these sensors. If you put them on a type 2 just for a week, all of a sudden people get a real sense that this is what's going on because a lot of people think, well, I can somehow sense, you know, what my blood sugars are and, you know, uh, most type 2s, you know, fairly, you know, check their blood sugars fairly infrequently. Right. And, and here's an opportunity to basically show them, you know, here's what's going on. Here's what's spiking your blood sugars and getting an opportunity to understand what's happening while they're sleeping. And, and I think there's been some evidence that that tends to really give people a sense that that's me. This isn't, I'm just not a statistic that no longer I'm hearing. Silent yeah, and, and, and I think the yeah. other issue is, you know, a lot of people understand the downstream complications of diabetes, and you know, but a lot of times, unfortunately, you know, um, we wait until you know they're symptomatic, right. and, and obviously that's not a good solution because right. all of a sudden, you know, maybe they're starting to have vision problems, cardiovascular problems, you know, uh, neuropathy problems. So again, I think the healthcare system's understanding that you know we need to be far more proactive, and and again with just uh, an explosion of diabetes in this country, you know, right now we got about 30 million people, but it's projected by 2050 if we don't aggressively do something, you know, you could have close to one in three Americans with diabetes right. and globally you know 461 million people or so and, and those numbers could be you know tripling in the next you know 20 years so I think the real answer is you know we, we need to think as we're talking about very differently and again we have an opportunity not that we're going to throw technology uh, and think it's going to solve it but we can use technology and analytics and machine learning, big data, and understanding, you know, behavior change to 
help really, you know, wrestle this disease yeah, and yeah. give people an opportunity to live their lives and, and not, you know, have diabetes be this worrisome, burdensome thing that a lot of people aren't sure they want to right, invest right. in. So there's some very sobering statistics in what, what you just yeah, said in yeah. terms of the numbers of people affected, but obviously an opportunity is huge to, to help them improve their lives, right? And I, I, when I, you know, when I think of the various solutions for type one, type two, I think it's relatively straightforward to sketch them out on a whiteboard and say these are the key pieces and this is how it's going to work. But then you try and you know implement and scale these, and you run up against a whole host of like different complexities, whether right, right. regulatory concerns, business models, scaling. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about? That you know, as as healthcare goes through this right, transformation, right. what are the kind of key things that people are going to have to work through? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great question, and you know, if I just step back a little bit, and then I'll, I'll get right to that. You know, we've been talking a little bit about you know, kind of mechanical or biomechanical and analytic approaches to addressing diabetes, but you know, certainly there's a lot of work being done in regeneration, regenerative medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, um, some of the work that's being done to really see if there's a way to basically induce or use, you know, different cells in the body or to find a way to basically regenerate uh, beta cells. And, and obviously the key in type 1 is how do you thwart the immune system for just re-initiating re right, right, right. the attack on the pancreas. But, you know, companies are looking to do that with encapsulization. There's companies that are looking for ways to basically inhibit the ability of the, uh, you know, reg reg T, the regulatory T cells for going after that. So, I mean, there's a lot of interesting activity right. going on in the biologic side, if you will. There's other people looking at even this, you know, area of the microbiome. You know, there's certainly some implications that changes in the gut bacteria. Is it possible that it triggers an autoimmune right. response in right. type 1s? And in the case of type 2, is it uh, correlated, which it seems to be, to insulin resistance? But, you know, I just wanted to put that out there. It's not you're, just you're mechanical. Absolutely, right. Yeah, absolutely right, yeah. too, because it's easy, it's easy to think that this is a chronic disease and we have right. to manage it as a right. chronic disease. But right. if there are some more kind right. of... Um, fundamental interventions you yeah, can make yeah. and make this an acute disease that's treatable. It, then exactly. That, and then the other part of it, I think, you know, as we think about healthcare, I mean, a lot of our healthcare system, you know, historically has been targeting acute diseases. Right. And here we have a situation where diabetes uh, clearly a chronic disease. And in some ways, you know, Healthcare, you know, for the most part, is still kind of bricks and mortar driven. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you think of it, I mean, that's how providers get paid, right. you know, fee for service. Um, but, you know, we're seeing, you know, opportunities, as we said earlier, with outcomes driven measurements, value based healthcare, where we want to put more of the incentives on keeping people literally out of a hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to make sure that we're basically helping people, you know, stay in a good range so that we can, you know, hopefully defer, if not diminish their likelihood of developing diabetic right, complications. Right. But then, as you said, I mean, it, it's complicated in this country, you know, because how doctors get paid, reimbursement, um, you know, 50 states. I mean, we have 50 different flavors of how healthcare economics are driven. Um, you know, we have lots of issues where, you know, we're still, I think, biased towards treating the consequences of diabetes than this idea of, you know, looking at, you know, prevention. I mean, historically, there hasn't been a lot of money uh, to look at, you know, we generally know through family history, 
uh, there's even some work being done in the genomics area. You know, we can pretty much predict who's likely to become a person with diabetes. Uh, and obviously, you know, we know today there's 90 million people in the U.S. that are quote unquote pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, we don't do a lot with that. Obviously, the you know CDC has made some progress with diabetes prevention programs, but you know it, it hasn't been fully baked into our healthcare system. And again, part of the problem is there hasn't been a lot of economics to reward, you know, helping people not develop a chronic condition. So that's a barrier. And then, you know, in other parts of the world, um, again, I see it in, you know, whether it's the Middle East, China, elsewhere, you know, there's still a focus on building new hospitals, bricks and mortar facilities, and the idea that the patient with diabetes goes to a facility and, you know, in some cases they're just getting supplies, in other cases, you know, they're getting, you know, some of what they need to live with their diabetes for the next month. But, you know, the nature of diabetes is, you know, how do we really help those people in their homes? Mm -hmm. How do we educate people literally on how our bodies work? I mean, the thing that I always find, you know, fascinating is the fact that a lot of people with diabetes uh, don't really know what it means. I mean, you know, a lot of people, for instance, well, they believe, okay, I got to avoid sugar. But, you know, that big bowl of pasta, rice, that's great, that's healthy, with no real appreciation. Well, how does that break down? It becomes, you know, glucose. And and then the other part of it, I think a lot of people just, you know, again, they feel that, well, I feel okay. You know, all these statistics that you're giving me, they don't apply to me. And, you know, there's just a lot of that denial where people just feel there's also a sense of, you know, in some populations fatalism they just right, think right. well it's been nothing I in the do. family yep. nothing i can do yep. about it so you know so i think you know to come back to your main question there i think it's really you know as we have heard healthcare is complicated a chronic condition is complicated because we're trying to treat it in many cases in an acute care world right and you know the other opportunity is essentially you know we're we're just knowing uh in this country and globally that given the um, obesity uh, epidemic, if you will. We know it's driving diabetes. And, you know, frankly, other than, you know, some efforts to try to help people lose weight. And uh, again, if the prescription that's been generally given, hey, you want to lose weight and exercise, you know, for most people, that just doesn't translate. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I think we need to think differently about the reimbursement. We need to think differently about being proactive in prevention. We need to think differently about, you know, recognizing that, you know, diabetes is really an at-home disease. Uh, and then the idea that, you know, going to a traditional hospital clinic, um, you know, how do we help people? Maybe it's through telemedicine. Maybe right, it's through right, right. remote diagnostics. Maybe it's through coaching. You know, the idea is that, you know, we need different approaches and then i think the point is different reimbursement and business models you know where we're we're getting away from the idea of episodic payments right so there's a key part in in all of this right which mentioned a couple of times outcomes right which feels critically important but but i guess that in its own right is is very very difficult to align around you know what is the right outcome for a patient with diabetes. Maybe it's different for everybody. There's kind of traditional key clinical outcomes people focus on, like A1C, right? But that doesn't tell the whole story by any means, even clinically, let alone in terms of what benefits the the patient in a non-clinical way. So do you have any, any, are you optimistic that, you know, we can align on a set of 
you know, outcomes for the industry that could then be the standards against which value-based payments are made or risk-based payments are made? Is it- yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think you're spot on. I mean, I guess the answer is we have to, um, you know, because otherwise we just have this runaway freight train, if you will, that's uh, not going to be stopped. But but the real answer is, yeah, I mean, if the only outcome measurement is A1C, um, you know, that doesn't correlate to, I mean, I think we appreciate that glycemic variability is an issue. And then, you know, the, the element that, you know, relates to diabetes, but most people, you know, we need to understand that, you know, most people, you know, what's their lipid status, you know, cholesterol, uh, you know, certainly there's a correlation with, you know, hypertension that could lead to kidney disease. You know, I think we're appreciating the fact that um, even depression, you know, affects, you know, people with diabetes or, you know, um, if people aren't feeling good about themselves, are they likely to be mm-hmm. proactive in their care? So I, I think the real key is, you know, we, we ought to have some standardized mechanisms so we can really drive the appropriate you know, clinical outcomes, which I think will then support the right economic outcomes. Uh, And and I think the key is, again, to think about, you know, looking at how people are doing over, you know, a longer period of time, you know, because A1C, you know, I'm measuring, you know, potentially, you know, control for 90 days. Right, right. right. uh, But at the end of the day, I mean, are we really helping people, you know, basically, you know, if they're early diagnosed with diabetes, we can reverse it. Right, right, But, right. you know, what are the incentives to do that? Yeah. And then I think the other part of it is really, you know, understanding that, you know, diabetes is kind of this driver of all these comorbid conditions. Right, right. And I think the key is, you know, we need to look sure. at people kind of holistically. And, and again, that just makes it harder, but Absolutely. that's the way How we have to look at it. incredibly complex disease, comorbidities, and reduce it down ultimately to a set of measurable outcomes that can be used to drive the you know the the, the new business models that seems yeah. like a really important but tough yeah tough no exactly challenge. right the other thing that we we think about a lot here is you know you mentioned AI and that this need for intelligence to make sense and that's almost certainly going to have um, a role in 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 behavior change and coaching and help helping people um, with their lifestyles and, and decision making but there's got to be an ongoing role for the, the humans in, in the loop here, right? The providers that can kind of help interpret this and, and give support and appropriate coaching to people. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on, you know, the providers in the future and how they're going to live with this technology and how, how are they going to work together so we get the best of AI, right, right. But the, you know, the best of what providers can Yeah, no, I, I think it, it's, it's a great question in the sense that, you know, if the AI enables better understanding of uh, what's going on with people with diabetes, you know, then the key is how do the healthcare providers, nurse educators, you know, clinicians, primary care doctors, endocrinologists, you know, how do they adopt because, you know, at, at the end of the day, their economics are important, you know, in the early days, people thought, well, all this information is going to be, you know, available to the providers, and they can monitor and see which patients are problematic. But, you know, the greatest fear was, you know, did they think they were going to bear liability if someone reported a hypoglycemic event, and they didn't act on it. Um, And then the other part of it is, you know, they're, again, in a lot of cases, they're being tied to, you know, really looking at, uh, I get paid for, 
you know, time with the patient, a physical, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're just starting to see some glimmers that in a number of states and a number of payers are now starting to say that um, a diabetes, you know, connection with the patient can be done electronically, telemedicine, and then that the reimbursement ought to be the same. Um, You know, why are we penalizing uh, a situation where, in fact, for a lot of patients driving to the hospital, paying for parking, waiting in the waiting room, uh, you know, isn't what they want. So, you know, many other industries have figured out, hey, you know, let's engage with people where they are and, and frankly, with wearables, with sensors. I mean, all the information, you know, that's needed to understand the physiologic condition is available. And, you know, we need to come up with a way that we really do allow those physicians to you know, to do what they train, be effective, they train for, uh, yeah. understand yeah. how to reduce the burden of their spending a lot of time documenting in an EHR system what they're doing, then really trying to provide insights to the patient. And I think with clinical decision support capabilities, we should be able to help doctors, nurses zero in on with all the things that are going on with your patient. Here are the two things that for this particular intervention encounter, if you will, that you want to have them hone in on. So the idea is we can also help doctors understand, you know, what's going on and, and again, move well beyond the days where they're just looking at, you know, a big printout from their blood glucose or CGM. And, you know, we're really trying to make sure we're giving them the opportunity to do what they do best in getting away from kind of the you know, whether it's the bureaucracy right, or right, the right, documentation right, right, or the fact a, that, you know, they've got 15 minutes to try yeah. to come up with something intelligible. And if they're spending 10 minutes to try to get to the bottom of it, right. that's not a good use of their yeah, time. Absolutely. So, John, maybe just in closing, because, you know, there's some really meaty things we could get, you know, deeper and deeper into. But um, maybe just in closing, do you want to quickly say what you're what you're going to do next, what you're interested in now? Yeah, no, I'd love to. Uh, so again, you know, hopefully you get a sense that I'm pretty passionate about what I do. And, and again, the I guess the journey that I started 25 years ago hasn't uh, abated at all. And right. so, you know, I'm currently involved with a number of uh, diabetes companies uh, as either chairman of the board or on the board or an advisor, a consultant, right. uh, you know, and it, it really is from an international standpoint. You know, I think at this point in time, you know, my hope is that, you know, I can help bring some insights, bring some encouragement, um, you know, help especially for early stage companies, you know, how to really understand as they develop a, a next generation solution, but, you know, having them understand, you know, where they're going to need to be a few years down the road uh, as we anticipate, you know, what the regulatory requirements are, the reimbursement requirements, how they're going to participate in this outcomes right, ecosystem right, right. and, you know, to understand what the value proposition is. And, uh, and again, that's kind of fun because you've got a lot of people excited about solving some element of diabetes and a little bit that we know about healthcare is, uh, you know, it's evolutionary, not revolutionary. So, uh, if I can give them some, uh, advice or coaching or different points of view, you know, my hope is that, uh, that keeps moving us in the right direction. That's great. Well, your passion comes through very clearly. Good, good. <laughs> um, absolutely. It sounds like you're both having fun and, and an impact, um, a, a continuing impact in diabetes. So thank you very much for chatting with us. No, my pleasure. Anytime.
The Resonance Test Podcast is where we seek out people who are consistently able to go from inspiration and cool ideas to fully implementing them. Innovation in this form can be found in all sorts of fields, from health and tech to food and the workplace, and we love hearing how different people go about doing this repeatedly. Continuum is a global innovation design consultancy with studios in Boston, Milan, Seoul, and Shanghai. At Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, it's not really innovative until it exists. If you want to learn more about Continuum and the work we do, go to continuuminnovation.com. Thanks to John and Mike for their great conversation today. Many thanks to Kip, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Unending appreciation to Ken Gordon, our producer, for his masterminding behind the scenes. This has been The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Mm-hmm.